0: Audio corner. This is Dr. Shobana Rajan from the Cleveland Clinic, and on behalf of the Education Committee of the SNAC, we extend a warm welcome to Dr. Rafi Avitsyan, who will be our expert today and give us some insight into anesthesia for interoperative MRI. Dr. Avitsyan is an Associate Professor of Anesthesiology at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine and also the Program Director for the Neurosurgical Anesthesia Fellowship. He is also the Vice Chair for Professional Development in the Department of General Anesthesia. He is an Oral Board Examiner for the American Board of Anesthesiology as well as member of the Oral Board Question Writing Committee. Currently, he is the Vice President of Education and Scientific Affairs of the SNAC. His academic interest is mostly in brain tumors, anesthetic methods for seizure surgery, brain protection, as well as difficult airway management. His clinical studies are mostly directed to finding ways to improve outcomes after neurosurgical procedures. He is also interested in medical innovations with many published patents. He has more than 25 published peer reviewed manuscripts, a few book chapters, and many abstract presentations which highlight his academic achievements. He is on the editorial board of the Journal of Neurosurgical Anesthesiology and also a reviewer for Anesthesia Analgesia. And there are many more things I'd like to add, but I guess we should get going with the podcast recording. So welcome, Dr. Avitsyan.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So our first question to you is, what are the types of neurosurgical procedures done in the intraoperative MRI suite, and what are the surgical advantages?
1: So first of all, let's uh, step one, step back uh, MRI intraoperative MRI surgery um uh with MRI is not necessarily limited to neurosurgery. Um there are other surgical procedures, for example orthopedic, that have been done and reported for intraoperative MRI. However, the focus right now is uh neurosurgery and in particular intracranial procedures that are being done in an MRI suite. And the reason for that is to have a more accurate uh um, a- accurate positioning of the um, pathology, which is uh, in the cranium, and uh, be able to, to direct the surgeon to, to treat the, the pathology in a more precise manner. Um, if I were to, to, to uh, divide the intracranial procedures that are being done usually in an, an intraoperative MRI, suite, in um they could be divided into intracranial uh, tumors uh, intracranial craniovascular problems, as well as functional neurosurgery. And the tumor part, it could be done as uh, either uh, an asleep or an awake uh, procedure, as well as it could be done in an open manner, which uh, like a regular craniotomy, a flap of the cranium is removed and the, uh, and the uh, pathology is removed, or it could be as uh, replacing or placing a lead to uh, destroy the pathology uh, by uh, laser heat. Um, the functional portion um, is um, accurately placing the leads that are going to be involved in, uh, in um, stimulation. For example, uh, this is done in the deep brain stimulatory uh, methods for uh, treating the Parkinson's or, or other uh, uh, functional disorders.
0: Thanks. So our next question to you is, how is doing a case in the MRI suite different from doing a case in the regular ORs, and what are the safety precautions that we need to take here?
1: So obviously, uh, the MRI suite is a lot different than uh, a regular operating room, and the main difference is having the MRI machine there. Now, the MRI machine is uh, causing a, a very high... Uh, electromagnetic field. For example, an MRI machine, which is a the three tesla, is about sixty thousand uh, times more um, electromagnetic field than the Earth itself. This has a strong, um, uh, strong uh, effect on any electromagnetically charged uh, uh, item that are uh, around it that could attract it. Now. A lot of equipment that we use in the operating room are uh, electromagnetic, um, including the monitors, the devices that the surgeons and the anesthesiologists use, and this could be attracted by the MRI machine and act just like a missile uh, that can cause trauma or harm to the patient, as well as uh, uh, um, personnel that are working in the uh, interoperative MRI suite. So, if I were to divide it in two major problems, number one is um, the equipment uh, that we use in regular surgeries in uh, non-MRI suite that you cannot use all of them unless they're cleared in the MRI suite as well as trained personnel that would know what to do in uh, situations and are screened that they are cleared to be able to work in an MRI suite. Another important portion is that in many uh, centers, again, not all, but many centers, the uh, interoperative MRI suite is further away. It's like a remote location compared to the other areas of the operating room. Now, there are hospitals that it is situated uh, right close to or next to the uh Uh, regular operating suite, but in some instances, they're they're, uh, away, and this causes a lag time if there is an emergency for help to arrive and be able to help the uh, personnel which are inside the MRI uh, suite. Now, uh, let me just uh, step one more step back and tell you about different uh, interoperative MRI machines. Um, and the systems that they work. The intraoperative MRIs are usually divided into three categories. One of them is uh, an open system, meaning that the uh, MRI machine by itself is always stationary within the, the the place and is not moving. And the patient is also stationary, so the patient and the MRI machine are always there. The MRI is always on. So this limits the ability of the personnel um, that uh, to prepare the patient, or at times. Uh, that there is no need for an MRI. Do portions that uh, could utilize instruments that are not uh, cleared by MRI. Uh, on the other hand, in this system, the, uh, the picture quality of the MRI is not as good because the um, the Tesla uh, um, power of the electromagnetic power is not that high. The second uh, form is the one that the um, MRI machine is uh, stationary. And the patient is non stationary, which could be moved inside the portion that the MRI is being done at the certain point of time that the MRI should be performed. And the rest of it, uh, the patient is moved to the adjacent uh, uh, area and uh, the surgical procedure is done at that point. The third is when the patient is stationary and doesn't move in the MRI, uh, in, the, in the operating suite, and the MRI machine is moved inside and out of that operating room on special uh, rails and this again gives the advantage to prepare to have time to prepare the patient for just that mri period of time and apart uh, from that use some of the uh, material and equipment that are not totally mri uh, uh, MRI, uh, approved uh, at those portions of the uh, uh, of the procedure again even when the mri machine is inside the we, there is there are certain uh, limits uh, um, on equipment that could be used. For example, some of the equipments, if are if they are far enough from the um, MRI machine, they could be kept inside the MRI suite with its special distance, because the uh, the power of the magnetic field drops um, exponentially when uh, the, the uh, 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 equipment are moved further away from the patient.
0: Looks like a lot of thought needs to go into planning for anesthesia for interoperative MRI.
1: That's correct.
0: How would you induce and maintain anesthesia in this, as you mentioned, remote location?
1: So, um, every MRI suite has specific zones uh, described by the uh, Joint Commission. And uh, one of them is a Zone 1, which is further away, and this is open to the public. And, uh, patients, their families, and even uh, personnel which are not screened for MRI could move in and out of that portion. As we get closer to the MRI uh, suite itself, it goes to Zone 2, 3, and 4 in zone two uh the the patients are still not uh screened that that's the uh, the the portion that they are being screened uh, and um, as well as the uh the uh staff and and personnel that are around that are not necessarily uh, screened they can be moved in and out and prepare the patient to go in uh the mRI uh scanner zone three Patients are already screened, they are clear that they don't have any contraindications of going inside the MRI machine, as well as the personnel are screened. Now, Zone 4 are only for those uh, patients which are screened, as well as the uh, personnel which are screened, as well as trained for specific situations. The training for going into the operating room with an MRI uh, should be on an annual basis, uh, again, by the requirement of Uh, Joint Commission, and there are certain online uh, as well as uh, written and reading courses that uh, every um, uh, personnel, physician, or the supportive uh, personnel should undertake at least annually. There are also mock uh, tests that are being done around the MRI machine, again, on an annual basis or even more frequent if there is a problem uh, within the MRI suite and everyone has to know their rule on how to deal with it. And I can discuss this further later on. But coming to your question, how would you uh, induce and manage a patient? It is recommended the induction uh, be done on an uh, in, in an area away from the MRI, which is in the uh, zone 2 that we discussed. In this zone, you can not only uh, bring in equipment that are not necessarily MRI cleared and may be necessary during an eventful induction, there also is the opportunity to bring in help, for example, let's say in a difficult airway situation uh, for, for from the personnel that are not screened and they could come in and help uh, in managing a patient there, which there is a, a problem during the induction. One of the other uh, uh, issues that have been recommended is that uh, uh, cardiopulmonary resuscitation is uh, best not to be done in the MRI environment. So specifically for those open MRIs or those that the patient is at at close proximity uh, to the MRI machine, uh, when there is a need for a cardiopulmonary resuscitation, the patient should be moved out of the MRI environment so, all the equipment that are necessary for resuscitation, as well as personnel that are trained but not necessarily screened for MRI, could come to the patient and uh, do their, um, their effective cardiopulmonary resuscitation. After induction, as we described, the patient should be uh, screened again one more time on a, be- on a stretcher that is cleared to go near the um, MRI, and this requires all the precautions of the regular. Um, uh, transport of patients which are under anesthesia, under general anesthesia, or sedation to, uh, from one uh, place to another, and this includes having a equipment for managing the airway and, and, uh, and route, although the route is not that far, but things can happen, as well as screening if there is any uh, metal object or electromagnetic object and sharp objects that are remaining around that area of the patient uh, before entering the zone three and four of uh, the MRI.
0: This is really useful information. What happens if a patient has a known or an unknown difficult airway? How easy or difficult is it to handle it in this situation?
1: Again, there's, uh, uh, not only for difficult airway, any patient that may we, we may encounter that there may be a problem with induction. And specifically, as you said, for a difficult airway, we have to induce the patient outside the operating room suite and then transport the patient inside. Uh, In Zone 2, there are equipment, as I said, the fibroactive bronchoscopy, video laryngoscopy methods, as well as equipment that are uh, specific for uh, ENT surgeons, uh, and help from uh, personnel which are not uh, uh, necessarily cleared or screened for MRI safety that they could be around. In some situations, this could be done even in a regular operating room. And then the patient, uh, after the airway is secured, the patient transported to the MRI. Uh, machine. Obviously, the reverse is also true. When you want to uh, reverse the patient, uh, emerge them, and um, do the extubation, uh, because there may be a situation that there is a uh, need for reintubation, this should be done in a more controlled manner. Not that, probably not not a good place to do it in the MRI uh, suite. So bring the patient out in either the uh, recovery environment. Uh, or in another operating room where there uh, could be help if needed and then extubate them there.
0: Thank you. I know that time and again we come across patients with pacemakers and defibrillators. So what are the contraindications for intraoperative MRI for these patients?
1: So any uh, patient for uh, which has a contraindication for or MRI per se is also a contraindication to go into uh, an intraoperative MRI. Uh, there are certain lists. Of the, uh, the that are reviewed by uh, MRI technicians uh, and handed over to the patient or their responsible accompanying uh, uh, people to be filled in. And that goes through, uh, through all the history as well as surgical procedures um, that uh, that could point out to a metal object or a, or an object that is. Uh, Contraindicated to be in the MRI machine. This could be uh, AICDs, automated uh, um, uh, cardio defibrillators, or pacemakers. This could be sh- uh, shrapnels from previous trauma, or um, uh, or uh, bullets, or anything else sharp that is electromagnetic and is implanted or not taken out of the patient. Uh, also, um, chest wires, uh, as well as uh, artificial Uh, limbs, uh, as well as implants should be uh, mentioned in the history and uh, seen if they are compatible or not. Any um, metal object, especially with the new high uh, electromagnetic force uh, machines, can cause uh, a heating uh, or movement that is detrimental for the patient's health. Not only that, even the equipment that we use on the patient's which are monitoring equipment, they should uh, be checked not to have loops because when there are loops in an uh, electromagnetic field, they could uh, they could uh, uh, transfer um, electrons and be a source of heat. So the other uh, important issue is to check if the patient, there is any source that can cause uh, um, um, heat and, uh, and cause burn on the patients.
0: Are there any radiation hazards what are the other complications that we need to be aware of?
1: So, MRI uh, works on of, on three forces. One of them is the electromagnetic field that uh, I mentioned, and that is, um, uh, that, that is through uh, um, uh, creation of a very strong magnetic field, and that can cause attraction of any object that has electromagnetic uh, pro- properties. Um, the other one is radio frequency and radio, radio frequency after a certain limit can cause heat, but there's no radiation, but it's a re, uh, radio f- uh, frequency waves um that uh, after a certain point uh, can cause heat and The third one is the variation in the electromagnetic field which can cause uh, uh noise uh, this can uh, uh, affect the patients as well as the personnel which are in, inside the uh, intraoperative MRI suite. Um, and these people have to have ear wear to decrease the uh, uh, the sound that uh, could be bothersome.
0: Mm. So, uh, regarding awake craniotomies, do you do any of these awake cases in the MRI suite? Is it more challenging than doing it on a regular in a regular OR?
1: Yeah, it's just the same way that the regular craniotomy is more challenging in this uh, M- M- MRI environment because of lack um, of the ability to use different uh, uh, medical devices, which are electromagnetic. The same goes with the uh, way craniotomy patients. And most of the awake craniotomy patients, some of the monitors uh involved with machines that are electromagnetic, including EEG machines, including the evoke potential machines. Um, the danger of patients having seizure needing resuscitation, is also there. Um, on top of these, there is a portion that the patient uh, should be under the MRI machine, and, and that's why these procedures are being done in an MRI suite. Because before entering the MRI machine, the patient has to be wrapped so that the sterile field is not in touch with the MRI machine, uh, the patient would be in a very enclosed environment that could limit the access of oxygen uh, as well as taking out the CO2, which uh, is around the patient's uh, head. Um, because of that, the portions that are necessary to do an MRI, it is always better to secure the airway. Now, this could be done with intubation, or the way that we do in here would feel it safer is to use a laryngeal mask, which is placed after the patient is deepened uh, in their anesthetic level uh, and sedation, and then uh, either a control or stay, still a spontaneous method of ventilation is is uh, maintained with uh, the anesthesia circuit that can uh, that can give adequate oxygen and remove the excess uh, CO2 away from the patient.
0: You gave us a lot of things to think about. Thank you so much for this valuable insight. Sure, Thank sure, you for that. your time.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks.